0: Welcome, everyone, to Howling Coyote. And it's my pleasure to have Mofat Osoro with me today. Um, And uh, I came across um, Mofat on LinkedIn and uh, found out more about him and the work that he's been doing uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. And I thought that people in the US and Maine in particular, would be really interested to hear more about him. And so I wanted to invite you, Mofat, to, to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and how you got involved in the work that you're doing. And and we'll just take it from there. We'll have a conversation.
1: OK, thank you very much. Um, I'm so happy to be here this evening. It's six o'clock Nairobi time. As you didn't it, we are seven now. It's, in the, it's going to the afternoon. It's 11 your time? Yes. And I, my name's Amosat Osoro. I come from Kenya, Nairobi, and I'm the founder uh, of Fremont Medical and Path Centre. This is a centre that is uh, running in the outskirts of Nairobi, and it's run in the informal settlement. I think when people do not understand maybe what it means to be an informal settlement, in other words, it's like a slum. Mm. And uh, I think uh, uh, when you talk of a slum, it's a big challenge because when I look at the statistics around uh, uh, here, when we look at the reports that are compiled by the United Nations, the world Bank. they say the people in this community, most of them survive below the dollar per day. So you can imagine it's poverty at its highest. So there are so many challenges such a people will go through. I moved to this neighborhood uh, 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 quite uh, some years ago, and I was a victim of poor medical practice because I fell sick and I was trying to look for a place that can give me treatment. And when I moved from one clinic to another, because uh, you realized trying to set up such a facility with the economically disadvantaged environment, it comes with a price. So you realize people are trying to bargain. Uh, you can find even quarks trying to take advantage of uh, the loopholes and then they process they put themselves as medics and who loses is the common people and the vulnerable people who are they who are objected to poverty so I this it's at this point i was not i, I was in administration by then so the idea of me going to the medical world was not known at that particular point and this kind of motivated me to see how I can be part of the solution. And I gave myself a promise and to my God, that uh, when I get out there, I'll be able to be part of the solution. And when I was making this uh, uh, promise, I done it because I moved from one clinic to another in vain and my brother was an intern medical student, what we call a resident clinical officer. He was winding his internship and I called him and I say to him, I'm losing it. And I call him to come back and look at me, he came. I remember him administering some antibiotics IV. And while he was doing this, I gave him a promise. I said, when I get better, you and I are going to do this. We're going to save people by making sure we provide proper medical care in this community. And that's how it started. Fast forward, a few months later, I committed myself trying to marshal resources to have this center. But since at that time, I didn't have uh, enough of the money, I managed to get $1,000 at that particular time to be able to start a small medical clinic. But my brother, oh Fred, who was supposed to accompany me at that particular time, had got an assignment and he felt that he was to go and get more experience and that probably come back. And he was trying to slow me down, but I felt like if I slow down, many people are going to die. So I started the clinic and then. Uh, it started well with the challenges. I was moving up and down. I was trying to look for resources. I was trying to look for medical personnel, but eventually it came to being. Now, maternal care became also an issue when my wife got pregnant and uh, she got uh, to give her a baby. At that seven weeks, she developed some uh, blood pressure And uh, uh, the uh, medical at our facility could not manage that because we were starting and they advised us to go to a national referral hospital for further management. And uh, when I say that most hospitals have copied the Western Mm -hmm. culture of those practices, medicalization, induction, forced cesareans, improper care negligence and all those. So I became, again, a recipient of that when I went to uh, this hospital. The first thing they did was to chase me away and they told me to come the following day. When I came to, during visiting hours, I was told my wife has not progressed at all, but she was saying that she was in pain. They induced her 37 weeks, but the induction did not give any progress. So two days later, it picked up after, after trying three times, eventually increasing the micrograms of the medication they call mesoprostol that is used for induction. And then eventually the labor pains peaked, but at this point I was at home and she was calling me every minute because she was left alone managing her labor. At some point, she felt she was dying. Remember, this woman is a woman's first baby. She's away from the parents. And our culture, traditionally, where I come from, where culture is recognized, the senior members, the women, the aunts, the mothers are involved in the parting process. They surround these women with love and care. And we are told the senior women in the community understand the parting process a mother self understand our daughter. And many times in my culture, women, when they got pregnant, they were sent back to their mothers who understand their body and how to manage through proper. And I can tell this because when I was growing up in the countryside, I can tell you, I never saw Caesarean. But when I came to the city, it was the Western part kind of culture. So my wife was discharged at this point, I pinned down and they wanted to change the course of maternity in this community. Luckily, Mother Nature conspires when you want to do something for people, for humanity. You're never alone. You know, if you conceive it and you are genuine and you look at the people as the recipient of this, not yourself, you are selfless, it's going to happen. The reason why I'm saying this, with the circumstances I was in, even when I had conceived this dream, it was almost impossible because the resources were Mickey. At one point, I, I had these volunteers who traveled to Kenya to come and volunteer in a neighborhood, and they heard about Fremont and they walked in. We were not busy for them to help, but anyway, I had to share them my dream. And one of them left the country. She was coming from Australia and went back home and narrated the story in one of the magazines of a young guy in Nairobi who didn't have a medical background, but had wanted to change the course of maternal care in his community. And this message reached all of Australia, but it reached one midwife. Who had wanted to come to Africa to help change the in culture in the community. Not that he felt that she felt that this was to be done, but from nowhere she would come to say that when she was a young girl in midwifery school, she loved to touch black babies. And uh, I think one time she felt like she would be involved in Africa with all the reports that comes in Africa to come and be part of the care. So she reached me directly when she read this. And from there, we were able to communicate. And she asked me the challenges I had. And I said, I had the challenges of resources. And I wanted somebody to come here as a professional midwife to be able to lay down the uh, protocols, the pillar and the model of midwifery care. And that's our Vicky Chan Got our weight in Nairobi and at that point she was able to fundraise ten thousand US dollars. That we came and improved the care at our community, and from there it's been that I think she arrived here in May 2011. We had a conference, and by the time her brother's not come, but I had calling because we had uh, we wanted him to add the medical or team as I was trying to coordinate other activities of managerial or duties. So this is where it all started. So this is what we 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 discussed. We realized how my wife was treated. This is what our women were receiving. Women were left to birth alone. Women were not given consent when medical was given to them not even their husband has been asked permission. If the labor did not progress as the doctors wanted, it is the doctor will decide if this woman will need immediate intervention or be taken for caesarean. Women were abused. I can tell you, I know of centers where women are beaten, women are scolded, vulgar language is used. They're treated as objects, not human beings. And when we saw this, we wanted to change it for the women who are coming for care at our center. So the pillars involved, we wanted to give women safety. And I can tell you, for the more than 10 years I've been here, we've never had a maternal death. Secondly, the neonatal deaths, they can come, but they are at the lowest. And then when you look at the caesarean rates, they are the lowest because of the women we we birth here, we only have a 4% caesarean rates. And because we don't have a theater here, these are the women we transfer to a designated national hospital where we work closely. When we we give women time, we give natural labor the process. Our midwife are qualified, they are experienced, they, are to, they know when to use their intuition, they listen to their instincts, they give. They, they monitor the mother closely, but when they feel that these women need transfer, it's justified. And we tell these women at this point, you are going to another level. So we tell them, "Cesarean might happen to save you and your baby because we've done with them the best we can not airing you, not forcing you, not coercing you, not manipulating you, not scolding you, but after giving all the love, the support, the opportunity and the autonomy to birth by yourself to be able to get to the referral hospital. And I can tell you, even when we refer these women, we have the best outcomes because they can tell you how they were treated because the other hospital know that this center framework stands for this. And eventually, they need. We need our port. Our women were treated at the other side. So it's been outstanding. It's been stunning. And I can vividly say that um, I do believe that when women are given a chance, all these problems that we see in the world today, they are a result of improper care. When our women are not given love, they are not. They are when they are not supported during pregnancy, they are not given resources, they are not given informed cho- choices. Whatever their background, even if they are depressed, stressed, or coming with burdens, we know they need to be counseled, listened to, so that they are at peace where their are babies. And eventually, a mother who is loved, if they propagate the same to their unborn child, And afterwards, when they see these little ones born and continue doing the same, the world would be a better place for all of us.
0: Indeed. And, um, you know, you you remind me um, once upon a time, some years ago, I was involved with midwives and doing um, out-of-hospital births and... Birth center births, and we had—I um, think our cesarean rate was around four percent. Also, it was—it was nothing like what I see in in the large hospitals here in Maine, which which um, can go over forty percent. And and you you know you just want to say I I don't think nature is that stupid. I think that probably the human race would have died out if if that many cesareans were really needed. And um, I think it's wonderful. I mean, it, it, it's exciting that that you're building this sort of um, woman-centered care um, for your people, for the people mm-hmm. in, the, in the neighborhood. And, um, and it just, Um, I wish I wish we were doing more of that here in the United States. Um, How how have how have the physicians in the hospital reacted to what you're doing? Have they put up any obstacles or roadblocks for you?
1: Well, I I think uh, we find it so uh, difficult if we are dealing with new staffing who have seen this care, and they feel that that's the culture that it should be impressed and accepted. But we know that, I know we have been also the loving stock of uh, the other hospitals. If they felt that this woman would require transfer, I'd, they feel it's overstayed. But what they don't know, it's giving these women, to give normal parting process a chance. Because if you don't give it, you're going to interfere. And, and, and when I tell about interference bringing unnecessary intervention, which eventually leads to complication, which puts these women out of the normal process. You know, the human biology, the physiological process dealing path was created and it designed for the normal process. But also, when we look at science, science also came in to help when the normal, had failed, not the other way around. That when we when we feel, no, 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 we have to be intuitive. We have to use instinctive. And we have to show all this love to make sure that we are not putting an obstacle to the normal process so that we can be quick. And, and I, I've seen where, um, even here, when you look at the uh, big hospitals, they are no less what happens in the West. When you read local newspapers, that may be of obstetricians. Sometimes you wonder where a woman will come and tell you how they were forced to have a cesarean. Some women will be crying, looking for a place for a natural birth. Our center is Googled more than any center in Nairobi for women who are running away from the second cesarean. Three years ago, before COVID, I, we had the opportunity to host women who had to share their stories about their Syrians, and I can tell you, it was the most emotional conference I ever participated, in and I never once, because women narrated story after story, why they were taken for Syrian, why they were they want to come here, why they think they were taken advantage of it, and why by all means they will want a normal parting process. So the Vicesian, or as you have asked the Vecisian, some of them, they can look at you. They don't like a normal birth, and, and you know, sometimes if they have normal parts, they're not going to have their dollars <laughs> because, because if normal birth gets a chance, most of them be like, I'm gonna get my cesarean and that, it's, it's, it's quite expensive. Here in Nairobi, a big hospital for a cesarean will cost over 2000 years dollars and they know they can do it within minutes and go for I heard a story of a woman who was sharing a story, how the doctor who was taking care of her was realized that she had an assignment in another hospital. And this woman had labored only three hours and she was told it's a complication. And she was rushed for a caesarean for the doctor to stop taking care of her to go to another probably caesarean. So, I think even some of the nutrition is not something they want to hear. But I cannot say for all that if you I know, including Dr. Maranga, who has been outstanding, who I consult over time to share such stories of normal birth in our facility.
0: Mm. It's good to know that you have some supporters. I'm sure that helps a, a great deal. Are there are there traditional indigenous practices that are, are being brought into the, the midwifery care
1: from? Well, uh, yeah, thank you for that. And I you know, I was raised in the countryside. <laughs> my, my grandmother passed this year in February. She was 96. She had given birth or 13 children at home who are surviving. Our sisters, one is 94. She had 14 at home. Our other sister, the youngest, she's 90. They are surviving, she had. But also in my case, my mother, who I'm the sixth born of our eight children, I was born at home. And my mother will tell you that she gave birth or our babies at home. And it does, you know, if you talk about ompats in some places, they are associated with dangerous care. When we talk of homebats in our indigenous culture, we are talking of experienced midwives. You know, if you look at the elephant family, the elephants have their midwives. So when an elephant is giving birth, the elephants have identified in the heart those elephants that are Midwives and they do the process. They didn't know what school. I mean, they know, and they take care of it. In my culture, there were women who were trained. My mama sometimes, when I I came, I grow up. My mama would run and help the women in the community, and the outcomes was astounding. I can tell you, I grew in the countryside for seventeen years. I can tell you, I had known only one woman who had a cesarean. Now, here at the center, we have involved, we are talking about the culture. One of the culture is to involve the women from the community. We have what we call a prenatal care circles, where we bring women to sit in a circle and share their stories and their care and their culture. So it's just ended today, because we, have, we had it 2 p.m. this afternoon, and every other Wednesday, and this is an informal setting. Let me say this. Traditionally, the pregnant women from the community will come around a big tree and talk to the elderly woman who was experienced in this. And they'll share to them about how they birthed, the challenges, how they eat, and if there is any way they can dissuade any complication that will come along the way when they are bathing. And we took that by telling the women, come at the center, let go traditional, let us sit in a circle, let us share the experiences, let us see what's happening. So the idea of having this care tradition in the countryside, even when we are in the city, we practice it very well, and it's been going on well. Secondly, we invite the support in the bathroom. When these women are coming to bath, they are surrounded by loved ones. When you go to the countryside, senior women were involved. They were able to encourage these women emotionally. They'll talk to them, the position, and the kind of noises they'll tell them so that they can progress fast, or so that they cannot delay to distress the baby. So there are some sounds like the traditional women will tell you, breathe in, breathe out. When they are pushing, they are told to scream in a very comfortable way. We also have a parting stool that was used in traditionally. You know, in hospitals, they have these obstetric beds and some midwife will tell you that's a chain chamber for women. They go putting their hands like this, their legs apart and they're surrendering to the doctor. So there's nothing they're seeing. And the woman is like strained in that chamber, cha- torture bed. And then by the time she's done, it's like her spine is broken. But here we tell the women, you are for the autonomy. You can squat, you can sit, you can stand, you can lean on your partner. Okay. You can use a pathing stool. And this is what our people did. And over the years is the wisdom that was almost lost in the pathing culture in this country that we are trying to look and see how our great-grandmothers fared. And the wisdom we were trying to lose in the in, in the Process of trying to produce the Western culture that has put all these high Caesarian rates.
0: Indeed, indeed. And I wondered, um, I confess that I don't know very much about Kenya and (laughs) most people in the U.S. know too little about Africa and I'm probably one of them. And for that, I apologize but I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the the indigenous people of Kenya, the the, the various tribes and languages and perhaps starting with yours, your people and just give us an overview. Okay. So we're better educated, okay. you know, cause we're stupid. Oh,
1: <laughs> so thank you very much. So uh, Kenya is a very, a beautiful country and I think it's known for its wildlife. It's called, It's located in the East, part of the of the continent. it's East Africa and uh, it's known for its wildlife. When you hear of Mara, the Petos, and others, it's located in our country. we have Mombasa, the beautiful coast. but when you look at uh, when, you, when I look at the indigenous I'm talking about the 42 tribes. we have 42 tribes and each one of them has its own language. So, uh, to put it, we have what we call the Bantu, the Nilots, and the Kwishites. So, there are big tribes, are, 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 so the Nilots, the Kwishites, and the Bantus, but when you break them, there are 42 tribes. I come from the Kisi tribe. It's located in the western part of the country. So, in total, Kenya has 50 million people, and uh, of these 50 million people, places, uh, most of the people, like Nairobi is the capital city of the country, and our care is done the city, which has been a challenge of trying to copy the Western culture of birth. And that's where we are coming in, trying to talk the people, go back where we are. Listen, when you look at when we were colonized, the colonizers came and told us our culture was outdated. It should not be practiced. And because we were coerced, uh, people impressed that. But over the years, we have seen our people almost lost what was beautiful. And in this case, I'm trying to take it, you, you know, my parents were born before the colonists came, and you see, they used their traditional culture, of birthing process and the outcomes were outstanding. They were stunning. But if I look at my age mates, they feel that going to a post-hospital least getting the care of an obstetrician who tells you what to do is the easiest, you know? So our people are this culture that add wisdom. I give you another example. The other day, a few years, two years ago, my at the center, we have a medical department in the maternity department that we call bathing center. So here at the medical department, we have doctors who diagnose and treat patients. So patients who are coming from the settlements can get treatment of whatever uh, diagnosis the doctor identifies. But I had this, my mother, she's 65. She's a traditional herbalist. And my mother, gives us up medicine. She does not use conventional medicine at all, but you see she stays 300 kilometers away from the city. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this is when a few, two years ago I was, I was saying my youngest boy Bradley got very sick. And then these doctors tried to give her all the medications and the antibiotics. My baby was closing. Mama calls me because I had to talk to mama every day and mama calls me and she said, bring me that boy. And then my wife packed the bags and went to my mother in the village. I can tell you, my mama called me two days later and told me, young man, my grand boy was dying. So she gave uh, all the traditional herbs and my baby who had stayed in hospital for two weeks survived. And I can tell you, I have doctors here at the center who have been trained uh six months ago my mother was visiting and one of the midwives uh, his son they one they are married one is a doctor and another one is a midwife they are worked at the center Their baby fell sick and they tried to pump all these antibiotics and everything and they lost it and then uh I, they come and ask me we are losing i said mama is in town go and see her mama went and and um, gave her medication, the traditional herbs. The baby was well within two days. So what I'm trying to do because my mother expires is to establish a garden which comes at a cost. I'm looking where I can fundraise money because it's very expensive to have this land in the city. I want before my mama go grow old to have an apple garden and then plant all these trees let her pass it over to my kids and my midwives and my doctors, so that we can be able to do that. So in our in our in our facility, most of our care of our the babies, more especially, of our midwives and doctors, most of them, my mama does it very well for them.
0: Wonderful. You know that um, here here in Maine, um, I work for Wabanaki. Public Health and Wellness, which serves the five tribes of Maine. And one of the projects that our organization is doing is um, we were able to acquire um, a large piece of land um, on the Penobscot River, um, which is one of our major rivers. and we have a medicine garden that we've created to to raise all the traditional herbal medicines and and to bring people's awareness to traditional herbal medicine as an option. And it's kind of exciting to hear you talk about what you're doing because it, it seems, <clears throat> I suspect this is going on all over the world, um, that that this sort of Eurocentric colonization process is is slowly being pushed back. I think.
1: Exactly. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And and it's it's wonderful to hear about your your ninety year old grandmothers, who obviously got to be over 90 years old, without the benefit of, of uh, Eurocentric medicine. They, mm-hmm. and uh, I imagine that, that they must have lived a healthy lifestyle in the country with, with native foods and medicines and sunlight and all the things that don't always exist in the cities.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. So um, how much, on the medical side of the clinic, how much, what's the balance between the conventional uh, Eurocentric medicine and the traditional um, African medicine?
1: Well, I I think uh, it would have been better if our people not have been manipulated I think they are part of our people who still believes that the Western culture is superior to their own culture. That is the biggest embedment I see here, because I have seen cases where a, a local come for treatment, and when you try to tell them go to the traditional medicine, they're like, "What are you talking about? Yeah, that's stupid. How?" Oh, in this era, would you even think of that? You know, they think you're foolish. You are thinking uh, a cake. And, and and I think the biggest challenge is grabbing better. And, and when you see, sometimes I, I had this um, this uh, story this afternoon when I went to the satellite center we have And the doctor was telling me that two babies were brought in last night dead. And uh, their parents were carrying bags of medicines, the conventional medicines. And in the process of pumping this antibiotic, this antibiotic, this is cough syrup and all that, the babies succumbed. So we could have done it better, but the biggest is now even the culture or some of our people who have been manipulated even to this era, not enlightened, to feel that when they go conventional medicines, they are enlightened, they are superior, and is the best thing to happen in modern science. So I think the, the one that can go is almost a third, but how I wish, because uh, my mother, when my my three kids go for holiday, my mother feeds them and give them the preventive app medicine. When my baby gets out of the village, <laughs> you can be rest assured they can survive three more years without any sickness. And that tells it. And, and I think because the only challenge I can feel and I can vulnerably say is lack of resources. This thing with the influence I have, I can be able to, To work my team and change the course of everything, because we, ourselves, are the story. We have the rich experience, how it is worked, and how it can be done better. Yes.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I think we have a similar problem here in that there, well more than 200 years of, of oppression and, and, um, colonization and people managed their trauma, uh, with alcohol. I mean, many people did. And, and then more recently with opiates, with, you know, heroin and, and, um, but it's all it, it it's part of a of a culture of fast medicine, that that they want it to work quickly, and they believe that the Eurocentric medicine is fast and powerful, and that the slow medicine, the herbs and the um, healthy lifestyle and and you know walking and being out in the sunlight. That it's weak medicine, and and so I mean what I encounter, you know, working um, with with many of the people who have been deeply traumatized is that they keep looking for the perfect pills, you know, that will make them feel great, and and. You're not really happy to hear that. That rarely happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. That pills are not going to make you feel great. I mean, you know, I won't say that they don't ever improve things because sometimes they do. But, but it it's the slow medicine that makes you feel great. And I wonder mm-hmm. if, if you experience anything similar among um, the population that you serve.
1: Well, I think um, when you look at the challenges of communities like ours, um, it's like in the US. So the, the slums, like what the projects earlier on in the US, it's what you used to call the projects. And uh, youths are taking a shortcut to solve their problems, to get to do all these things, to think that they are going to sleep well and they find themselves in drugs. I had to enroll in psychology. And uh, uh, one of the reasons I did it is to address the trauma, the challenges that comes with these problems. I can tell you I've seen even women in- coming for care who were once smoking. At one time I had this woman who was in labor, and she was asking for a drink, a peer to drink when she was in labor. And she said that if we are not going to provide her, she was going to sue us. So it's, it's, it's still, it's, still um, it's, it's, it's felt in this community. It's one of the biggest challenges that is affecting the youth. And you see even uh, the women of reproductive age are not left either. It's not secret like this evening. If you walk down the street, you'll find women pregnant and then drunk and this puts you into distress, you look at her, what are you going to do? And the drugs are readily available because they go through the back doors, the streets and they are fed. So I have seen this uh, affecting our women, their families, and the kids who are coming. And this really inspired me uh, when I was uh, celebrating my 30th birthday to start an elementary school because I felt that uh, the children born out of the center with this challenged neighborhood, what happens after this beautiful post and child growth development as a health facility. And I felt that we should establish an elementary school that can protect and provide the care beyond maternal care. And we started a school and hopefully someday the school will be uh, a beaming example of how to address those issues in this community.
0: It sounds wonderful, and it,
1: thank you.
0: So, yeah, <clears throat> and before we finish, I I, I want to get your coordinates to write down uh, how people can reach you in case we in case somebody with uh, resources is is listening or watching and they want to send you some. So. Uh, just like the the midwife in Australia who saw who read about you in the magazine and showed up you, you never know what can come of things like this
1: exactly <clears throat> by the way I had this gentleman uh mm-hmm. his name is Rick he comes from uh from Maine he comes from your place he's been here before he supported us um, at some point I think he supported the when We started with the $10,000 the Australian midwife came with. Uh, He sent us $5,000. And I think it's been, uh, once in a while it's been supported. His name is Rick Mira. And uh, I really, uh, I I can, I have typed his name on. that This thing, it comes from Maine and it's been wonderful. And uh, yeah, Dorsey has been visited the center twice and uh, it's been really of full support. So people who can reach us can be able to contact us through a uh, Fremo Medical Center on Facebook. They can write an email on how to, uh, to uh, through the Fremo Medical Center, Gmail, uh, or they can also reach me through the, the email moffat2000us at yaomail.com. So I think you can be able because all the details um, um, uh, are on the on the Facebook page. If people want to donate, they can be able to reach out on the Frame of American Path and on Facebook. We've given all the details on how they can they can donate, and uh, we have a partnership with Mid- uh, Midwife Pilgrim. It's 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 in Vermont. Are you far from Vermont?
0: No, we're very close to Vermont.
1: Yes, I have a midwife by the name Rora Moro, who, who, who organizes and bring Frontier Midwife. We remember uh, she's Midwife, Midwife Pilgrim. If uh, the easiest way, like the people from the US can donate because it's an, an, a, 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 a deductible a government organization, tax deductible, they can send uh, their donation to medical Pilgrim and they indicate that it's for free more. And that money, all of them comes to the center because you realize uh, we attach a little fee to the care we provide. And sometimes, like we had these women we rescue, sometimes we put them at a shelter in our local school and later we let them go. So during the postpartum, remember, it's a very difficult time and a vulnerable time. So the donation will go through parting path essentials also can, can pay a woman who cannot pay for our care during care. we can provide food for the children at school and for the women who are in care. Uh, unfortunately, last week our band was going to pick uh, a woman in a woman and her baby was convulsing. It was involved in a grease accident and it was totally written off. Now as we speak, we cannot be able to transfer women or pick any merchants we are depending on hiring, which is expensive. Sometimes you can encounter up to $100 per day, which is going now to diminish our care if money is going to be uh, to be taken to that. So people can reach us, and any midwife who would love to enjoy this normal birth, who wants to enjoy this normal care of safety. Okay, you know, midwives midwife are trained to be the first primary care- caregivers of, Uh, women in labor, but I can tell you some women can tell you they are practicing in hospitals. They have never seen a normal birth. The doctors, the physicians are in charge. They're just like a patient attendants. So when you are an older, when you want to vacate, come, Kenya is a beautiful country. You can go to safari. You can come and work visit the center and share all you wanted to accomplish with caring your fellow women.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. I imagine that some of our um, family medicine doctors would probably enjoy coming to see what you're doing at your clinic. Also, the 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 sad the sadness is the the general practice doctors here, some of whom do deliver babies. They have, as as you said, they have. No awareness of normal birth; they've never seen one, and mm. and um, midwifery presence is very minimal here in our in our hospital, and and I imagine that people would really enjoy coming to Kenya and visiting your center and vacationing a little bit, and and. I may in fact take you up on that at some point because I've always wanted to come to Africa and see it. So who knows, maybe I'll- Make,
1: make a point. I mean, maybe it's a stuff like Vicky from Australia because it's a beautiful country. We don't have winter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, you can you can get your visa at the airport, but you don't have to go all these processes. And then we have rooms for volunteers that are self-contained. They have beds, they have electricity. Have water and they have the internet, so you can. And we have some shopping malls. Maybe somebody can go and rest. We have Kenya is the Nairobi is the only capital city in the world that has a national park in the city. Oh my. And, uh, How about? Yeah, that? it's we have Nairobi National Park is in the city, and we have so many places which we can enjoy one on one with uh, wildlife. We have uh, the elephant sanctuary. We have this is where the rescued um, elephants are put if, if, if an le- elephant the mother dies or the mother involved in an accident they are rescued and put in nairobi where you can go and see them and talk to them and and feed them also we have a chiravi center where the chirabs are you can also uh, have fun with them we have mamba village where you can have crocodiles it's a beautiful place and it's the we call it the city on the, in, in the sun mm. how nice yes
0: <clears throat> um i wondered how hard is it for you to find doctors and midwives to work there i imagine some the salaries are probably lower than you know than in some places is it hard
1: well, i it's it, what, the biggest challenge we have um is uh, i mean It's big, it's challenge. You remember we have a lot of train, train from Africa. If you go to most hospitals in the UK, in Australia, and in the US, you'll find so many Africans and Kenyans who are moving to work there because they are going to be paid good money. And uh, also, it's a big challenge because when you have a centre like Ophimu, the resources are very scarce a low risk place and uh, trying to afford the money to keep these doctors going it's a big challenge so it becomes a challenge you only are so lucky to have the few have dedicated their care with compassion and passion to be able to withstand the challenges uh of the day to continue working it's something i've always felt like even we can have donations coming to support our medical staff, not only with their salaries, but also to help them pursue and got more education and then come back to give to the community. And sometimes also our staff remember they work worked. That's why we feel like when the midwives come from the West, they can be relieved in our way so that they can have a prequel, a little vacation because we can not afford to have enough to give them on vacation not even come bring some people for locums to stand for them it's a big task it's a daunting task
0: well um i just want to say how impressed i am with with what you're doing and um to thank you for coming on the podcast and i hope um someone sends you some resources (laughs)
1: I hope who knows. conspire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the That is true. We all yeah. we're all under resourced and, you know, working with indigenous communities and indigenous people. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're we're all out there looking for resources and uh, hopefully someone will send some. And uh, um, yeah, so um Anything else you wanna, any last words you'd like to to offer people and sort of a- Well,
1: I think um, uh, I'm so happy to have this opportunity to talk to your people. I think with all this technology, with all this podcast, we can share. We are one, cultures meet, and we are humans at their best when we reach for each other, share culture, Impress each other and love one another. And the reason why I'm doing this when I feel like that as a human person, despite the challenges, you need to stand up for your people, for humanity, for the vulnerable, and to be for them to get what you wanted to get when you never wanted. So remember, I was a recipient of poor medical care but how I feel nourished every day when I see patients walking from this center, well-diagnosed, got getting good treatment. My wife became a recipient of improper care. And when I see these women, hundreds of them every year, surviving beautiful and being strong and healthy to survive to raise their children, what else could I have done? And for all, whatever we do, Let us focus on humanity, because at the core of our life and survival is for brotherhood, sisterhood, and the best for all humanity.
0: Thank you. That was so well, so well said. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast.